So we all come in with like all the goo from the week, right? It's like, bleh. okay. And you all have heard like the, the Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off. Okay, don't go that crazy. But before you sit down, I need you to shake off what you walked in with because we don't want that to go on. Like, I don't want that in that seat. Those need cleaned. So don't sit down without shaking yourself off. We can vacuum the carpet, not the chairs. So shake it all off. And then we're gonna keep going. There you go. Stinky legs, Todd. Good work. All right. So <laughs> we're going to go on. So I'm so excited for the message. This truly transformed my life. And I believe it'll do the same for each and every one of us that reach out and grab the full revelation. So what I ask is it's like this, tune in, but wait, there's more. That we really just focus on, hi, Garrett, you're never in my seat. Hi. <laughs> I'm like, who's over there? Um, but we tune in for what God has for us. Um, there's powerful, powerful stuff in this message. I believe that it was given divinely from God for each and every one of us in this room this morning. I do not believe you're here by accident. I don't even think that's possible, that God knew that you were gonna be here today. And if he knew you were gonna be here, then he had something for you because God's super cool. Like, okay, my niece and nephew, when they come to my house, like, I always have something for them. Like, they know when I see my aunt, she has a prize. It could be a sucker. It could be like, oh, shoot, I forgot. I'm going to grab a mint. Here's a mint. But they know there's going to be a prize. God's the same way. God's like, no, if you're coming today, if I know you're going to be there, I'm going to show up. If you're ready to receive, then you're going to receive. So let's roll with it. So we've been doing a series on Family Matters. We've been going through the story of Ruth. My parents are out of town this weekend. They do say hello. They miss first service, but they're watching right now. So if you want to wave at the camera, I don't know if it's that camera or that camera. So wave at both. Just, yeah. So then I'm sure they saw you somewhere in there. But they say hello. But we've been doing a Family Matters series on Ruth. We've been walking through the entire story that's taking place. And I'm going to kind of pick up right there at the end of the story and then go on from there. So, um... For time's sake, I am going to just paraphrase the story and then we'll um, get to the word in just a minute. So Ruth and Naomi, they are at the point, and if you've missed the series, I'll explain what's kind of happened up till this point. But Ruth and Naomi, they, uh, Naomi's husband decided, man, something's going on in this land. We need to jump ship. So he jumped shipped. He was not supposed to jump ship. He was supposed to stay there in the land, okay? But he decided to leave. He stepped out of covenant with God. And I know this is going really fast. So if you've missed any of this, go back. All the messages are online and this will all make more sense. But I need to get to the end of the story for time's sake. So he jumped ship. He comes over. Well, him and both of his sons end up dying, Okay, so it's left Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. Well, Naomi says, I'm going back to where I know I'm supposed to be. I'm going back to where my God is. So Naomi's headed back. Ruth decides, I'm going with you. Okay, this is the decision Ruth makes, though. Ruth doesn't belong in that land. Ruth is a Moabite. And over there are Israelites. So she, she does not belong over here. So she decides, I'm going to go anyway. So she goes with Naomi. They get back and they still own land there. But Naomi says, so slight problem. Um, we do have land here, but we're not gonna be able to eat. There's, there's nothing. We don't have any seed to even plant in this land. We do not have anybody to work the land. Like we're, we're out of luck. I don't really know what to do. And Ruth's like, I got this, don't worry. So Ruth goes to this field. And she doesn't accidentally, just like none of us are accidentally in church today, it says that it just happened that she ended up in this field. You didn't just happen here today. She didn't just happen in the field. God had pre-orchestrated this. But she shows up in the field of Boaz. 
And what she did was she was a reaper. So the, the people would go through and they would take the wheat. And then there was a second group of people that were like, oh, if they drop something, we'll grab it. And she was the third one to, in case the ones that picked up whatever was dropped, dropped something, she got that stuff. So that's what she was doing. So she's there, she goes back, she takes it back to Naomi and she goes, I got this from the field of Boaz. And she goes, oh my goodness. Because the tradition in that time is that if your husband had died, the closest kin to your husband would then take your land and take his kin's wife and so the lineage could live on. And so she goes, he's our kinsman redeemer is what he's called. And so Boaz does his homework and he finds out all he needs to know about Ruth. So Naomi and Ruth have their hopes up. They're so excited because they're like, oh man, my kinsman redeemer is here. That means people are gonna uh, work the land. That means we won't have to look for food. We won't have to scrap for food. That means we're provided for, like we are being redeemed. And they are so excited about it. And Boaz says, small problem. When I was doing my research, I'm actually not your kinsman redeemer. There's another guy that is. He's closer kin than I was. And he said, so he has first right. That's how the law works. So they go and they said, you can redeem this land. And he said, yeah, I want it. Sign me up. It's mine. I'll take it. I'll redeem it. That's great. And he says, but Boaz tells him, you need to take Naomi and Ruth because that's how this thing works because the lineage has to live on. And at that point, the guy's like, uh, no dice. I'm out. I don't want it. And so he leaves. He does not want it. Well, then Boaz says, I'm next in line, and I am gonna redeem this. Here's what I want us to see. The title of my message is Beyond Redemption. Beyond Redemption. I wanna read you two definitions really quick, and then we're gonna apply these definitions to our story and to our story. So we're gonna have a few stories going on, but what I want you to focus on is how does this apply to my life? How do I walk this out practically? How does the word of God come to life to me? And so um, the word redemption means the act of being saved from sin, error, or evil. I'll read it again for those of you that are taking notes. It's the act of being saved from sin, error, or evil. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. Okay, so in our story, Boaz bought the land. Okay, he is the kins, kinsman redeemer. He bought that. They are now redeemed because Boaz owns the field. They are taken care of. That's what their redemption means in this story. Okay, for us, our redemption, the Bible says that we have been bought at a price. Okay, Jesus died for us. That is our redemption. So I am redeemed through the sacrifice that Christ made. Okay, are we tracking? Okay, we don't wanna miss this here because it's gonna be powerful by the end, I promise. I mean, it's powerful now, but it'll be really powerful by the end. So we are redeemed through the sacrifice that Jesus made. He bought us. So that's the exchange that takes place, okay? So redemption, we are redeemed. Now let's look at restoration. The action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The process of repairing or renovating. 
the process of repairing or renovating. And this is what I don't want to miss in the story of Ruth. She wasn't just redeemed for that moment. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we receive salvation and that's it. I mean, that's a huge thing, but that's not all that God had in store for us. God didn't want us to just get saved and that be the end. God had a plan beyond redemption that we're redeemed, but then there's this restoration process that he has for us. It's not just redeemed. He has a life that's set up for us that is outside of just redemption. Because if Ruth would have just been redeemed, then her story would have ended there. Yay, I'm saved, the end. Like the movies, it's like, and they all lived happily ever after, we assume. We don't actually know. But like Cinderella, anybody know where she's at right now? She just lived happily ever after. None of us live happily ever after. And so we see the story, but it just ends. Yay. And there's nothing there. That's where redemption ends. Like, yay, we're all saved. Story over. But that's not what God had in store. God had, yeah, that's just the beginning. Redemption is the beginning. Restoration is the rest of the way. Because here's the story. Anybody know who Boaz's mom was? Hmm. Rahab the harlot. Like, mind blown. Rahab the harlot is Boaz's mom because this is what restoration does. Restoration starts way before us and restoration goes way beyond us. There's a big picture that God's painting that we get the opportunity to be a part of and it's this huge canvas that God is preparing and creating that goes way beyond who we are and way before who we are. Like we got here today, somehow we're here today and so there's a story before us, there's gonna be a story after us but the redemption part is important but walking out restoration is and that's what we're gonna look at next. So it goes before her and the story of Rahab in itself, there's the redemption and then there's the restoration that Rahab is a harlot that helped out a couple of spies. And because she did, she said, hey, can you save my family? Her story could have ended there. Like, oh yeah, we forgot to tell you, after we got Jericho, we did save Rahab's family, the end. And we move on. But that's not what happened. There's, yes, her family was saved. That's redemption. Restoration is the rest of the story that Boaz is her son. And then Boaz and Ruth have Obed, who have Jesse, who have David, who follows the lineage all the way to Jesus. Look at the storyline of restoration, not just redemption. And so we need both in our lives. Let's look at 2 Kings 4.1. Whoa, we are already sleeping. It's been like 12 minutes Okay, let's go to 2 Kings 4.1. Much better. And we're gonna look at another story that kind of paints a picture of, because our next question is how. Okay, I get that I need to be redeemed. I get that there's restoration. How do I walk out restoration? What does that look like for me? And how do God and I team up? Because it's not something we can do on our own. How many of you like became a Christian and you're like, I am Christian. And then you have this superpower to do the right thing all the time and you've never had a bad thought since. Anybody? No. Okay, so that means redemption in itself outside of Christ, we can't even walk out our life that the Bible says that we have access to. And so redemption, and then we have to team up with Christ to walk out the restoration process. And here's how we do that. So um, 2 Kings 4.1, and it says, 
a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Okay, freeze right there really quick before we go on. If you're taking notes, write down, what do I have? What do I have? If God is going to perform a miracle in your life right now, and he said, what do you have to offer? What would our answer be? Nothing, that's why I'm asking you. And that's what she says. She says, um, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. I have a jar of oil. That is all I have to offer. That's it. Okay? And here's what, here's what she's told. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Okay. She's just made it clear that her house is mostly empty. And she was just told to go gather more empty vessels. And I'm pretty sure she's looking at Elisha going, okay, um, the problem is I have to pay off this debt. And so more emptiness is not helping me. More, that's like God saying, gather as many empty bank accounts as you can. You're like, no problem, I have 12. I'll even use my kids's. <laughs> like, okay, that's like, you're like, that's not getting me out of debt, God. Empty bank accounts do nothing for me. And that's what she's saying. She's going, empty jars, that's your plan. Okay, like we're gonna throw them at them? I don't know. And he says, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were, were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons will live on the rest. Okay, redemption and restoration. Redemption, did she get her debt paid off? Yes but there was a restoration process that God didn't just say, your debt's paid off, good luck with the empty, and moves on. He said, your debt is paid off, now go live on the rest. Meaning, redemption did this for me. Restoration means I get to walk out the rest, and I have what I need to, to be able to walk out what happened at redemption. What happened at the cross? I now have what I need to walk out. But what did she have to do? She had to go get the vessels. She had to go get the vessels. Okay, not just any vessels, but empty vessels. And as I was studying this, I went, why empty vessels? Why not full vessels? Like, didn't her neighbors have full ones? Like, wouldn't that have been a cool miracle? Like, they just all helped her because community, no. The reason that there's empty vessels, and I got an amazing revelation on this, is that we try to bring God what's already finished in our strength. Hey, God, this is the best of me. Bless it. Hey, God, this is where I feel the fullest. Bless it. And God says, there's no room for me there. The reason I want empty vessels is because that's where I can fill, because that's where I can fit. There's room for me in empty places of your life. There's not room for me in full places of your life. The places that you filled with desires, the places that you filled with people, the places that you filled so you feel content, I can't fill those because there's not room for me. He says, where it's empty, that's where I have and I can occupy and I can make space. Even way back to where Jesus was born, there was no room for him in the inn. There's no room there. And so he went someplace that was empty so that he could fill it. 
And in our lives, it's the same way. We don't wanna offer God our empty places because, well, why would we do that? God can't use those, but he can. That's the very place he wants to. And he says, at redemption, I died for you just the way you were, that you could be whole, complete, and lacking nothing, that you could live from glory to glory to glory. I didn't die for the full places. I didn't die for complete human beings because there's no such thing. And so bring me those empty places and let me fill them and watch what you get to live on for the rest. So there's redemption, and then there's the restoration. Does that make sense? Okay, now... I'm gonna tell you a super cool story that's gonna bring this all together because now we're like, okay, give him my empty places and that brings restoration. But what about all the rest? This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So there was this guy and he had a Picasso painting. I don't actually know what that is. Picasso was an artist. I don't know what a Picasso painting is, but it is super amazing art, as I've been told. I'm not an art person, but it's this Picasso painting. This man bought this painting for $39 million, okay? $39 million for a piece of art, but he valued it. He had tons of art in his house, but he got this painting. Well, after he gets this painting, he has a friend that comes a couple years later and is like, I really like that painting. Can I buy it from you? Well, this guy's going, okay, well, my art's supposed to gain value over time. So if I sell it to you, I can just buy more art, even though it's my favorite. I think I'll go ahead and do that. So he tells his friend, I'll get it appraised, not to worry. Um, and we'll work out something. He gets it appraised. It appraises for $135 million. And his friend says, I'll take it. And so, I know, I'm like, um, So he takes the painting, $135 million painting, and he pays for it, and they get insurance on it, and they do this whole thing. But then um, this guy says, okay, it's gonna be shipped out tomorrow. I'm gonna have a party at my house tonight because I want everybody to see this painting one last time before it goes. So he has everybody over to his house and he's showing them this painting and everybody's just appreciating this painting before they don't see it again. And he reaches out to show them his favorite part and he trips and his elbow goes through the canvas, ripping a hole in this $135 million canvas. So he panics a little bit and tells everybody, well, the good news is we're still alive. The also good news is that I'm the one that did this. Nobody else did it. He said, I'm just gonna take a moment I need to go sit down and make a very important phone call. So he calls his friend and he says, small problem, I uh, tripped and put a hole in your $135 million Picasso. And his friend's like, oh. And he said, it's okay, we got insurance on it. That's why we get insurance for these things. So take this, this Picasso, collect your insurance on it. The insurance will take the Picasso. You'll get your money back, not to worry. Um, and then we're good to go. And the guy's like, all right. And he goes, or I have another option for you. He said, uh, just reverse the charge, take your money back. He said, I will find a canvas surgeon. I will get the painting restored and then I'll give it to you free of charge. And the guy said, I really like that better. I, I value the painting. You value the painting. I don't know the first thing about art restoration, but let's do that. And so the guy takes it. Um, he goes through this, finds this uh, canvas surgeon. Well, the thing is, is they, it's this huge process, this very long process, because they have to find the exact oil 
mixed paint that Picasso used to even go on the canvas so it doesn't mess up the rest of it. I mean, it's this huge thing that everything has to be done in the same lighting and the same to restore this art. So he gets the art back after this really long restoration process and he picks it up and he goes, it looks perfect. There is nothing wrong with this. And because there was nothing wrong with it, in his mind, he's going, how do I know this is an original? Like, how do I know they didn't just send me a copy? Like, surely there's copies of Picasso paintings, right? They're pretty big deals, I hear. Um, so he, he, he looks at it. Well, he turns it around. And he said the back of it, they call it in the art world, is called the provenance. And he said, is the story of how it was restored. Every single line was... We use this paint. We set in this light for this long. We, and he said very detailed. And he said almost to the point that you're like, this is a messy process. And he said this whole thing. And he said a provenance in the art world, what it does is it shows the authenticity of the person that painted it. So it is an authentic Picasso piece because of the provenance, because of the restoration process that it took on the back of this painting. And he said... So I, I sent it to my friend. He goes, I was just amazed that they documented all of that. And he said, my friend had it reappraised to just kind of see, you know, what value was, was lost with it being torn and restored. And he said it appraised for $155 million. He said, I didn't understand. And he said, so, and I want to read this exactly, but he said, I don't understand how it could be worth more. It was damaged and it was restored how is it worth more? And they said, when art is damaged and restored, it now holds the intrinsic value of the lover of that art. So not only the value of the Picasso painting itself, but because the lover of that piece of art saw it valuable enough to restore, that value is now added into the piece of art. Now I want to put us in this story, okay? Because there's so many of us that we got saved, or maybe we're not even saved. Maybe we haven't accepted Jesus because we don't feel qualified. But we get saved and now we're like, I, I wanna do everything God wants me to do, but I feel so disqualified by my story. I feel so disqualified by what I've walked through, by the things I've faced, by the decisions that I've made in my past, by what my life looks like. I never thought my life would look like this and I feel disqualified for what God wants to use me for because of what happened. And throughout the Bible, it talks and refers to us several times as God's masterpiece, God's art, that we are created in the image of God, that God created us, that God is our artist. And if we would look at this art that through the restoration process has more value because the person that owned it, the intrinsic value that he had on it to restore it added value to us, then our stories no longer decrease our value. Our stories make us have more value because of what Jesus did, because of the restoration process. So our stories do not decrease our value. Our stories do not disqualify us from what God wants to do. Our stories actually are the very thing that qualify us because of the intrinsic value that our creator has added to the picture because you're worth restoring. And because you're worth restoring, your value is so much more that you're not disqualified based on what you walk through, what decision you make, anything there that now the picture is 100% restored and now you're worth so much more. And so many of us feel disqualified. So many of us don't step out into what God has for us because we feel disqualified. And see, with that piece of art, 
there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about here is that sometimes we view our life as the insurance, like damaged good, God already paid for me, I'll just wait till I go to heaven. And we, we pretend that God's like this insurance person that, well, he got what's left of me, the insurance company took the damaged painting and paid for it. So now I'm paid for and God just got the damage. And that's how we view ourselves. But that's not how God views us, that God sees it and goes, no, this isn't an insurance ordeal. I didn't just buy you. I wanted to restore you. And remember our definition of restoration? I want to look back at it because this makes a big difference in our story. The act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition, meaning God created us. He foreknew us. He knew us and created us before we were even in our mother's womb, in his image. So he knew what he had in store for our lives. He knew what we would be. He already knew your story. He created you before, and now that we're redeemed and restored, we have been restored to God. Our provenance is now showing, no, I am authentic in Christ, because now we're labeled with, no, God created this. And then not even that, it goes one step further to say, we are stored to a former condition, meaning how God created me to be, what his word says I am, who he says I am, and who he created me to be from the beginning was not tattered by my story. I actually have more value now, and now God can only see me in that image. And I want to paint another picture for you to see with this. In Rome, in Italy, in Venice, in these places that you go visit to see this art um, that they have, all of these, these monuments and all, all these big things. You want to go see the cathedrals. You want to go see these things um, because all of it is such amazing art. They have what's called a scrim, and a scrim is a piece of fabric. And so if you were to go, and let's say we're looking at a bridge, and this half of the bridge is restored, but this side of the bridge has faded. The art isn't as it was before. So what they do is they put what's called a scrim over the top of it. It's a piece of fabric so that if I were to stand back and look at this bridge, it looks like one complete picture because the scrim shows the finished product of what's happening. Behind the scrim, there is an ongoing process of restoration taking place until it is complete and then they remove the scrim and you see what you pictured in real life. Okay, now let's jump back into our lives. This is absolutely amazing. Redemption when we receive Jesus. Okay, we are washed by the blood. It says that we are a new creation. Okay, so redemption takes place. Redemption puts that scrim over our lives. That now God sees us as a result of the blood of Jesus. God sees us how he created us originally. And God sees us in a fearful and wonderful way that he made us. He sees his own image when he looks at us. He does not see sin. He does not see mistakes. He does not see a broken canvas. He looks and sees this scrim and says, no, that's my image. On the other side of the scrim, inside of us, we have this restoration process that is ongoing, that, re, that goes and goes and goes and goes. And God is constantly restoring us into who he created us to be. But on the outside, instead of us putting on a show, instead of us trying to act perfect, instead of us trying to do this, God has already done that for us. And as long as we're focused from the inside out going, God, I just want to do, I want to be who you've created me to be. And I'm going to focus on the restoration that you're doing on the inside of me. I'm going to walk out the process. I'm not going to 
skip the process, then what's going on on the inside also shines through the outside. So when I look at Garrett, I don't see Garrett as a result of what he's doing because Garrett is so focused on the restoration that God's doing on the inside of him that when I see him, I see the scrim of who God created him to be because when we're so focused on what God's doing on the inside, then it can't help but shine through on the outside. So I don't see Garrett's mistakes. I see what God is doing inside of Garrett. And so then people don't see us in light of our mistakes because we're so focused on what God's doing on the inside of us that we see, no, I see God working there. I see God working there. I see God working there. And it's not glory to us, but they see this scrim that they go, holy cow, they are made in the image of God. And on the inside, we're like, I'm just walking out restoration day by day because of what my redemption, because of what God redeemed in me is now restored and I can live on it because I, my debt is already paid and I'm gonna live on the rest because I've given him my empty and said, restore me from the inside out. And from glory to glory to glory, every day we walk this out. Do we see that? That is powerful, church, that if we could see ourselves in the image that God created us, that I don't have to be a show. I don't have to put on this front. God already did that for me. That he said, no, you were bought at a price and this is how I created you and that's what I want people to see and that's how I want you to see it yourself. If there was a mirror in front of that bridge, it would see the scrim. If there's a mirror in front of us, I should see myself in the likeness and the image of God knowing that inwardly, that restoration is working day by day, day by day, day by day, just like Ruth, she had to walk it out. And way beyond me, in this restoration process, it's taken place. Isn't that cool? That is amazing. And so let's look at Ephesians And it says, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship means to make. It signifies that which is manufactured, a product, a design produced by an artisan. God is the master designer. The universe is his creation. And the redeemed believer is his new creation. We are his workmanship, his piece of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's read that one more time. We are his workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. There's redemption. For good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's restoration. Remember, before us and behind us. So there's restoration that we should walk in them. That's the restoration process. I am a work of art. See, a lot of people will tell you, you're this blank canvas, and God's just creating you day by day. No, it says that we were created beforehand, that we're this canvas that was already there, and due to sin, our canvas has been tattered, our canvas has been torn, our canvas has been faded, but because of redemption, that canvas can now be restored. And so there's a scrim over that canvas that says that canvas is absolutely perfect, and behind the scenes, there's a provenance being written that proves my identity in Christ. That is powerful if we could grab a hold of that. And you read every story in the Bible, read through. There's always a redemptive process and there's a restorer. There's redemption and there's restoration. And there's redemption and there's restoration because God didn't create us to just be redeemed. He created us to be redeemed so we can live restored. And that's how God created us. And so here's one last thing I wanna say before we close is that 
redemption, and this was heavy on my heart. I didn't say this first service, but I was back there praying that the restoration process comes with some responsibility. The lady had to go get the vessels. And when we walk out the restoration process, what we don't want to do is we're not going to live how we want to live and just go, there's a scrim over my life. The blood of Jesus covers that. But there's a responsibility that says, no, I'm portraying the image of God. And every day I'm going to live like it. And every day so that when we come to church, we don't be like, oh, look at my scrim. Look, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we go outside and you're like, I hate you all. Okay, that's like not, not the, the case here. So how we live inside and out, that God's restoring us in church. And when we leave today, we're still walking out that restoration process that says, what are you doing on the inside of me? Every single day we're being restored. But more than anything today, I want us to grab hold of the fact, I am not disqualified by my story. My past did not disqualify me. And guys, I can tell you this for a fact. I don't just preach things for fun. I don't just hear somebody preach them and you're like, oh, I'm gonna copy that. No. I pray and pray and pray and go, God, what do you have for today? But then the other thing I do is I'm not gonna preach something to you that I haven't walked out and seen the fruit of in my life. And I can promise you I have experienced redemption and I can tell you that it's true. And I can also promise that I have walked out, not the fullness, but I have walked out a restoration process and I have seen God in places that I thought I am disqualified. That changes my story. What just happened changes my story. That mistake I made changes my story. And I promise you that God said that mistake didn't change your story. That story, that major story. Because here's the thing. Even in those stories, even in sin has consequences. That's that. Okay? And so we walk through in mistakes that we make, even in the mistakes that we make, and it's not that there's not a consequence, but even the mistake that we made, when we give that empty place to God, that broken place to God, maybe we walk through something we didn't see coming. Maybe we walk through something that took something from us, and you're like, I don't even know where this came from. I don't know how I got to this place, but we're in that position and we see that in our lives. And we go, God, I, I give you this broken place. I give you this empty place. And maybe in our lives today, it's something that happened years ago that you feel like still disqualifies you. You're still carrying it. It's still an empty place. Give it to God. And it could be something that you're walking through right now. But regardless of what we're walking through, when we give those empty places to God, then God fills them. And God says, watch that be restored, not just now, but watch it down there. Watch what I'm going to do down there. And so it's what we give now and who we give it to, the best of us. And so, as I say, I'm not just speaking something that I haven't seen the truth come to pass. I've walked through things that I felt like disqualified me. I faced things I felt like disqualified me, that I go, my story was great. And somebody punched a hole through my canvas and God goes, no, 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 look at the provenance on the back. That means you're authentic, and you mean more to me now than you ever have before. And then if we can all grab hold of that today and go, I mean more to God today than I ever have before, because I'm redeemed, but not only that, I'm walking out restoration.